Welcome back. We are here at 832 Sips, a podcast where we talk about issues and challenges in education today. So grab a beverage of your choice and enjoy the conversation. All right. Uh, Today we got with us uh, Ben Kelly. Um, We are super excited to have him today um, because he is a STEM Teaching Excellence uh, winner in 2019. Uh, Ben, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, guys, it's it's great to be here with you. Uh, My nickname in college was 832 Sips. Uh, that's the nickname the boys gave me. So uh, it's it's nice that you just took that nickname and went with yeah, the podcast. With I it. can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so I teach in New Brunswick, uh, grade six to twelve uh, STEM, and basically everything else the schedule throws at you. And uh, it's been a wild sixteen years in my career so far, and uh, I guess I have another sixteen plus coming. And uh, it's just been a, a great profession so far, and I love doing podcasts. So I'm happy to be here with you guys. Uh, in my case tonight. Awesome. Well, to just to kind of follow up on that, again, you know, winning the Prime Minister's Award and getting to meet Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, I definitely saw that in your Twitter feed and just the, the look of, of love and passion in your face and stuff. You know, I, I know you do this for out of love and passion for your kids, and it's really inspiring to me. So uh, just with the STEM thing, like uh, Mateo was introducing you about, what are some of the best activities to get kids learning about STEM? Or sometimes I also hear it as STEAM. Yeah, the, uh, my favorite one that I do every single year uh, is really risky, uh, probably illegal, and I really shouldn't be doing it. I get the, uh, there's a scene from Apollo 11, that movie, uh, where they come in and they dump a bunch of garbage on the table, and they say, we have to make this, like the square peg, uh, fit into the round hole. And so I try to do the same thing. Every year I dump a bunch of garbage on the table, and I tell them that in uh, two classes' time, I will be taking their precious cargo egg, uh, just an uncooked egg. I will be putting it into their Martian rover, their lander, and I will be firing, firing it off our double-story uh, roof of the school. So this usually gets them excited. It's usually grade six, seven level, and uh, I dump a bunch of garbage out. It's the same garbage for every uh, collaborative pair. And then two weeks later, I walk up in whatever weather we're having, which has been, you know, a little bit scary at times, and uh, I start to fire off the roof, these creations. And there's no uh, easy dropping. It's literally me chucking them into the air, and the squeals and the joy coming out of these grade six kids. Uh, I mean, it's, it's that type of stuff that I really find is the big hit. I find if you can combine skilled trades with coding and design, uh, you have one heck of a well-rounded program. Awesome. Do you also include like uh, the A in STEAM too sometimes with art or? Yeah, a lot of like when I write grants, a lot of them are available for the arts. So they're music grants or they're art grants. So I've been bringing in dancers to do virtual reality, uh, I guess, uh, scenarios or, or uh, it's hard to explain, like experiences with the kids. Um, I've been doing some music ones. Uh, we've actually had some painting with spheros and things like that. So you're right. The more you can slam the art into STEM, uh, the arts in general into STEM, uh, the more solid your program is going to be. That's awesome. I know uh, our school division, we have like, we have a lot of um, kind of like makerspace stuff and robotic stuff like Spheros and, and that sort of thing. I've always wanted to try the, the art bit with that, but my, my coordinator is like, Ooh, that could, that could get a little bit messy, but <laughs> that's where the learning happens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, should we move on to question two here? Sure. Okay. Awesome. So, can you tell us a little bit more about what led you to win the 2019 um, STEM Teaching Excellence Award? 
A few years ago, I realized that I had a STEM program just like everybody else. Every school that I turned to the internet and saw, every, everyone in the country I saw had a STEM program. Even schools that couldn't afford STEM programs somehow had STEM programs. So the STEM program was not going to give my students a competitive advantage in any way, shape, or form. It's just another STEM graduate graduating from another STEM program. So I started to look around for some sort of authentic purpose, something that actually, instead of just doing STEM for STEM's sake, something that gave the, the program purpose. And I kept coming back to this empathy idea over and over again. Um, I started reading some books from, from some world leaders, and empathy seems to be the secret sauce, as the, uh, I guess the CEO of Alibaba says. It is the secret sauce to his company, and I believe it's the secret sauce to my program. So we started to make our STEM initiatives, our STEM learning, always have a focus on empathy wherever we could. And uh, it led to some wonderful things. Uh, it led to some, uh, some kids that were really proud of their work and engaged in their work because it had a focus. And I really do believe that I'm graduating some kids now from our school uh, that are both armed to the teeth with STEM uh, and cutting edge tech, but also ready to conquer uh, our aging senior population in New Brunswick. We are the oldest population in Canada. And we also have 31,000 kids below the poverty line in our province. And uh, we technically only have about 100,000 students in our province. So that's not a good batting average when it comes to poverty. And when you're dealing with the elderly and the poor, uh, empathy is a tremendous skill to have. So I, I really feel I'm getting these kids ready to walk into our future as citizens and uh, dominate. Absolutely. And have you ever great. heard of First Robotics Canada? Yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of teachers that are involved in that, and they're actually really proud. They actually call themselves like FRC. Like they, they, they call them like first teachers. Is that what they call themselves? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, just, I was just wondering. I, I, I got a grant um, just in September for that, and then we got cut off because of coronavirus oh, or whatever. But um, great. great program, and you would be absolutely amazing at it, I'm sure. Um, they hook you up with a mentor, and, and, you, and your kids build a robot, and then you go compete um in the in the states or in canada it's really neat it's, re um, it's really uh with that robotics thing it's really cool but our province is pushing cybersecurity, uh, much like manitoba i think there's a school in manitoba or saskatchewan i'm not sure where it is but it's the world it's the canadian leader in cybersecurity, and uh, i really think our province is pushing that so then again you look at one man one school how much can you do and when your province is pushing cybersecurity, um the robotics for now has had to take a back seat yeah that's interesting um you know, I'm going to, this next question, um, what kind of advice would you give to yourself, um, like as a pre-service teacher, just coming into a teaching job, sort of knowing what you know now? Um, when I graduated from my teaching program, uh, before I went to the University of Cape Breton to, uh, to get my tech degree like Dean, um, so before I did that stage of my education, when I graduated from my ed program, uh, there was this line that haunted me for years. And someone said, uh, you'll be okay, just don't smile before Christmas. Uh, and I'm not sure if you guys have heard that advice or not, but, <laughs> but exact it, line. it just, it, yeah, it just, it's haunted me for years. My first few years of my, my, like it, it really warped me too, because for the first five years of my career, I kept in the back of my head, don't smile till Christmas. That's how you succeed. And looking back now and, and knowing better now, I'd have to say the biggest thing in education is the relationships you have with the kids. Uh, if you don't form a relationship of any kind positive in a positive nature, you won't be teaching that child anything. Um, so if, you, if you're a new teacher to the profession, almost do a 75% to 25% split with relationship building 
and educating for the first few weeks, if not a month of the school year. Uh, because unless you click with humor or with similar interests or just interest in the child, um, it's going to be a long career for you. And I've discovered that now. And I wish that would have been the message I had leaving my, uh, my ed program, not don't smile till Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it works for discipline. But when you can hear a pin drop in a classroom, that's, that's not always a good thing. Um, there's got to be some collaboration. That's, that's really great advice. Yeah, I found there's a, I found like, especially teaching tech, um, get, get in there with the kids. Like with Minecraft, I've said it time and time again, get in there with the kids, uh, play use it like don't be a facilitator or sorry don't be a, pas a passive facilitator and just walk around and, and sort of monitor them with a clipboard get in there say let me help you with this step and talk to them and it's just it makes the job so much more fun you leave at the end of the day and you go did i just get paid for that um and that's the kind of feeling that you want as a teacher well, i like it too when they teach you and they're so yeah. excited like I, they still think i'm a noob when i go in there <laughs> and stuff but they love it they love showing me things too so i i totally relate to what you're saying yeah if you're doing it right you should be a little sweaty by the end of the day because you're always moving around getting in with all the groups <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing too i like what you said ben because sometimes people think when you're using like technology or whatever sometimes you get that that some people have biases with that that it's just you know people behind a keyboard punching away you know kind of in your little silo where in the future, you're going to have to work with a ton of different people and get together and build those relationships and that too. So not only is it great to, they won't, if, they, if you don't open their hearts, they won't open their minds, but just to even get them used to working with people. The day of working by yourself, I think is long it's gone. And over. you might have to work with somebody in a different uh, part of the world and you need to build that relationship and understand, you know, what their culture is about and be aware of that rather than just kind of going in and, and plowing your way through something for sure well I'll, I, I have to ask this question because you and I are both uh, the way Ben and I met actually is uh, at an Apple uh, Distinguished Educator Conference and we co-presented a, a Minecraft uh, uh, presentation which was great and I learned so much from Ben and Ben is like in my opinion the authority on Minecraft uh, yeah. EDU <laughs> he's got so many great things after we'll drop the link into, I'd strongly suggest you go check out his website and follow him on Twitter because he shares like uh, we just talked about that in our university class about sharing and openness and, and Ben just doesn't kind of hide his stuff. He, he shares. So he has so many cool things, especially with Minecraft, but other things too. But Ben, can you just talk us a little bit about how you use Minecraft in your classroom and what kind of got you into it? And maybe some tips for people that are kind of not too sure about what to, how to get into this. What's really neat about that training that we did with Apple there, Dean, too, is uh, on the on the way home from that training, that's the moment that I came up with the sustainable uh, shuffle, the sustainability development shuffle, because during that training, one of the teachers asked us, uh, because we can export world files, can I just send it down the hall to my colleague? And I remember you and I both were like, well, why, why stop there? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to share a world file, why would you send it down the hall? Why wouldn't you send it to Singapore or Australia? And so from that moment, that's where I went away and started thinking about what a global topic was. Um, I started using Minecraft just to, um, I guess, it's the greatest way I found for students to show their understanding of curriculum. Uh, that and podcasts, I love I loved getting students talking about their understanding of the curriculum questions and things like that. Uh, but, you know, when you really get to walk 
uh, walk around a student's build, talk to them and observe them just quietly in that weird ghost mode where you fly up above. Um, you really get to see a whole level of learning that you don't get to see from just products. So I guess the biggest thing, the way I use Minecraft is for observations and conversations to accompany those products. And I found it's helped me at parent teacher interviews uh, because I truly understand what they, what they understand, um, not just from what they produced and handed in, but from the process. I understand the process as well as the product. And that, uh, that's really the number one way I use Minecraft is not so much to teach, but to find that understanding of a lesson that I've just taught. Very cool. So what, what would you tell somebody who's kind of new to using Minecraft? Like, Oh, that's just a game. The kids will be distracted. They'll play and blow each other up and, and blow each other's stuff up, you know, that kind of thing. It's one of the most flexible tools you could ever incorporate. Uh, you don't have to be an expert whatsoever. Uh, kids, and you know this, Dean, kids love it when you fall in lava. Uh, they love it when a creeper surprises you and blows you up. And it says on the screen, you know, Mr. Kelly has died. Um, the, the, the chuckles in the classroom uh, are just part of the learning. Uh, but it really builds a community. Um, when you have 30 kids in Minecraft Education Edition and you're running around together and you're one of those kids, um, they truly believe you're just there to help them build their understanding. Meanwhile, you're assessing up the yin-yang and you're getting so many valuable things that you can anecdotally write down later or use to really judge their mark. Like, are they really a 79 or have they shown you that they're actually an 82 based on what you've observed and, and conversed uh, with them? So yeah, I found Minecraft to be uh, very flexible and that's the biggest pitch I'll give uh, for it is it's safe and it's super flexible for anything you need. I think I have to use that in a quote, uh, assess them up the yig egg. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Where would a teacher, so say like, um, I want to use Minecraft in my classroom, uh, where would be a good place to start? Like, would you recommend starting small or just diving all in? What would be the well, best way? Well, normally I'd say, you know, do the stereotypical build a house, right? And, and everyone does that. It's the first thing you do in Minecraft. You build a house, typically because night's coming. And uh, you will die if you don't build a house. Um, but it is it's sort of the first task that every teacher gets them to do at the elementary level. Um, I would argue, instead of just building a house, find a purpose, find a mission, find a real authentic purpose in the world, and then ask them to build a solution for that. I'll give you an example. Um, mosquitoes kill somewhere, somewhere over 700,000 people a year. And um, what a great uh, solution my, or, or tool uh, for that solution um, Sorry, I'll rephrase that. What a great tool to use um, to come up with that solution. So the students are, are pitched that idea, they're pitched that problem, and all of a sudden you find them building mosquito-proof housing in Minecraft. And the neat thing is if you have a million monkeys and a million typewriters, um, eventually they're going to write Shakespeare. So my hope is if you have a million students on a million Minecraft Education Edition uh, uh, offerings, hopefully someone might come up with a solution for these real world problems. And I mean a real solution, like, whoa, no one's ever thought of that. Um, so we're still waiting on our first millionaire, I think, or millionaire <laughs> idea from Minecraft. Uh, but I, I have pointed out recently that we're, we're graduating right now, the Minecraft generation, the generation who have grown up for the last decade uh, using Minecraft as kids. And I can't wait to see, you know, what 20 years from now, um, what solutions they've invented. And I can't wait to see who traces their roots back to Minecraft. Yeah. I'd also add in there too, sometimes I just let them go in creative mode. So then they have all the le electronic Lego pieces in the sandbox and, and build from that. So sometimes it doesn't take as long 
when you're in the creative, you don't have to worry about mobs and all those kind of things. Sometimes it's a nice entry point as well. Just to yeah, I, I, I agree. I use, uh, Dean, I use about 90% creative uh, in the classroom. 10% survival, 90% creative. Yeah. But we, I awesome. did creative, I did a survival once and we had a, we built uh, castles <laughs> inside of uh, Minecraft using uh, creative. And then at the end, we held, hid things That's and it. we had a big battle royale. <laughs> and we went to survival. It was awesome. Kids had a blast. <laughs> That is awesome. I know our school division is just kind of getting into the the realm of Minecraft, and I, um, me and my coordinator, we went into Dean's class just to kind of see how he was utilizing um, Minecraft in the classroom. So it's it's always good to hear some different ideas, and I really like the framework around um, using uh, STEM and empathy together, and just to give it that extra purpose. So that's going to be something that I think um, I'm definitely going to explore. Um, going forward as well. Um, ben, if you don't mind, I, I, I did watch your, I, I was doing some of my homework about 15 minutes before our podcast. And I went to your, your website and, and watched your, your, um, your video for, um, for the, your award. And you talked a little bit about your drone program. Do you mind talking a little bit about your drone program? Uh, I know Saskatchewan is just implementing uh, a robotics curriculum and drones are a part of that. And I think, especially for our school division, um, we're a little bit, like drones are a little bit scary, I think, to us. So I'm just curious as to how, um, how that went for you. Well, uh, don't be too worried because you have large open spaces, um, especially in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. So any, I'm a rural school, right? So um, you know that saying about it's better to ask for uh, forgiveness than it is for permission? Uh, this is the case where I use that. And I don't use it too often in my career, but I wanted to have a drone program. Uh, we had a uh, terrible tragedy where someone was uh, a roaming shooter in Moncton. And I was sitting there watching television one day and uh, a drone pilot showed up to help that uh, helped the RCMP. So he just volunteered. He showed up with his drone. He put the, the drone up in the air and he started the search for the uh, suspect. And sitting there, I still remember watching that news broadcast and I said, well, that's it. That's it. I'm not waiting any longer. And uh, about three weeks later, we had the first uh, financial input for our, our drones. We started with the little parrot drones with the indoor ones that uh, also work outdoors, but not too well. And we grew the uh, Canada's first drone program uh, back in 2014. Since then, the government has come down pretty hard with uh, regulatory um, things. It was the Wild West back then. I mean, I had kids flying all over the place. It was wild. You just basically uh, blessed yourself through the drone in the sky and, uh, and hope that it landed um, so that you could do it again. Uh, that's basically what we did back in the Wild West. But now I think your students have to pay $5 to become certified. Uh, the test is not that difficult if you actually put a little effort into it, but it does deter a lot of our students away from even being uh, interested because that test does exist. Um, once you get through the test, though, it's still the Wild West. Um, so the rules are still the same. There's nothing new. The rules are just being tested, and I guess they're making some money off of it. There's no but, need for permits or anything like that. I know in Manitoba, I went to a workshop and you got to do like a flight schedule and have permits and submit it to some flight authority. Do you have to do any I of think, that? I think that's if you're, uh, I, th I think a lot of that's if your drone is heavy. Like some of these RCMP have drones that are $56,000 um, and they're like little helicopters. And if they come down, they are killing people. They are like destroying cars on the road. Uh, but if you're looking at those little DGI, DJI phantoms and things like that, um, I mean, if that comes down, it's probably going to hurt the drone more than whatever it hits. Uh, not to mention they're pretty darn reliable. Um, 
they, they basically fly themselves. You just have to be, you know, willing to bring them back down when they're done doing their job. Uh, I don't know about permits. I just know that once you get that $5 registration uh, or, or certificate, you are a hobbyist drone uh, pilot. And as long as you follow the rules attached with that, like stay away from uh, built up areas, which our provinces will have no trouble doing. Um, we're, we're good. I mean, it's, I feel bad for the inner city schools because they either have to drive a very long way or they don't have a drone program period. So Ben, so, when you, when you implement something in your class, um, like with the drone example, you, you saw it and you're like, I know this is what I'm going to do. Like what's sort of your thought process or how do you tease out, um, I guess like the educational value and things like, how do you, what, what's your process when you find something new, like from learning it to sort of implementing it in the class? It's sort of an old train of thought, but it, you know what? It's not going away. I can't shake it. It's all about jobs. Um, I think a large, as a tech teacher, and uh, you know, the skilled trades are in there, but the tech, um, my whole focus, my whole career, 16 years now, has been on getting my students jobs once they graduate. And I'm not looking at literacy jobs, and I'm not looking at uh, you know French jobs or social studies jobs. My job is to get them uh, skilled enough that they could walk in and pilot a drone for an RCMP company or something like that, or another employer. Um, so really, with the drone program, it was all about jobs. Um, oh, that that's the thing that drives me getting the drones. Um, I really do think that the second we got the drones, we started those authentic missions of flying for a purpose. We had a flood in our in our main town that took out the entire road. So the kids could, took the drone down, threw it up in the air, and uh, took survey photos with the drone for anyone that lost property in the floods. So again, the whole drone program was based on authentic missions from day one. But the whole purpose, the whole incentive to go after the drones was the better jobs for the kids, just the cutting edge jobs for the kids. I have, sorry. Yeah, no, you go ahead, Dean. <laughs> I was just, well, just going to say a couple things with that, you know, with everything, because I know you, you, you take so many cool initiatives. I wouldn't mind if you could, it's kind of a two-part question, but I know you're like the grant king. Like I know you've done so much, right. you know, because in a public education, there's not always a lot of funds. And I know you've done so many good things for your kids by writing grants. And then the other thing I was going to ask is that, do you get pushback? Like, it seems like you kind of have almost carte blanche to go in there and, hey, we're going to do this. And and do you have parents or other stakeholders saying, like, what's this guy doing? Or Because we're in a rural school, in a very tiny rural school, my principal's given me a green light on a few conditions. Uh, number one, my track record has been near spotless, if not spotless. Uh, but if anything ever goes wrong, I'm to tell her immediately and first. Um, so that's the deal that we have. So imagine the drone comes down, lands on a, a teacher's car in the parking lot. Um, she's to find out before anybody else finds out. That's the only deal we have running there. I, I'd imagine in a larger school, I'd have to go through 55 vice principals uh, before I even got the permission to talk to the principal about a crazy idea. I might even encourage more recklessness, like uh, me just doing it and begging for forgiveness. Uh, but I really do feel that uh, the green light that my principal's given me is it's kind of wonderful. I mean, being in a rural area like you guys, uh, rural rural provinces that are big, open, wide spaces, I think we have a little bit more flexibility to act. And uh, I think it's our provinces that are driving the innovation in the country. I think uh, the other places in Canada sort of look and go, well, hey, it's working for them. Maybe we should dabble. And it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool position to be in. The, uh, grant, the grant writing... Sorry, I'll give you one last tip. The grant writing, you're right, Dean. I've had like crazy success. I think it's the last count, it's $220,000 in the last uh, six years or so. 
Um, I can give you one tip for anyone writing grants out there and looking for things. All of these grant companies are looking for what you believe. They don't want you to talk about the tech. They don't want to hear about how great Spheros are and how you're going to change the world with a Sphero because it has this many sensors and motors. They want you to state a belief statement. So my biggest tip I can give you from all the success I've had is start with a belief statement that you guys believe. Say, this is what we believe. This is what we want to accomplish. Yeah, here's the tech that we think can help us. But avoid talking about the tech. Talk about your beliefs and go after them and say why you need them. And uh, you'll find success. Is there a one-stop shop like where you can find grants? I worked with a teacher who used to get a lot of funding and he's like, I just searched the internet. But like, is there... Is there a place that amalgamates them or anything like that? No, because partially because the people that would be amalgamating them don't want the competition to, uh, right? Because these are highly competitive grants. Like, uh, but I, I know the big ones have like Staples. It took us four years to win the Staples grant. So they're, they're not easy. And most people give up after their first try. So that's another tip. Don't give up after your first try. In fact, write an amazing grant and then don't expect to win it. And if you do, that's great. But expect that it might be a multi-year application process and, uh, I mean, if you don't get it right away, you can always beat them down with uh, year after year applications until they finally say, wow, okay, you've earned it. That's awesome. I have to ask, because um, you, you met Justin Trudeau, right? Yeah, it was quick. It was his wife's anniversary. So it hit him and his wife's anniversary. So he didn't have too much time for us. But How soft are his hands? <laughs> oh, um, I was shocked by his height. I'm a, I'm a big dude. I've been six foot two ever since grade nine. Uh, so when you step up on the stage and you see this slender guy and he's he's your height, if not maybe a little taller, it's shocking. Uh, that whole mo- that whole moment was a blur. Uh, I mean, I'm smiling and giving a thumbs up, but that's all just uh, you're a drone at that point, right? You're just doing <laughs> doing you just, and you'll see me in the video. I try to pull away. I'm, I just want to get off that stage so fast. It's funny. You work so hard in your career for a moment like that. And when you get up there, you're just like, get me out of here. Get me off the stage. Get me in the corner where it's dark. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know about his hands. Uh, I know he didn't do any Trumpian handshakes where he tries to pull you in or anything yeah. like that. Um, but I, but I, don't remember, I, don't, yeah, I don't remember crushing his hands either, so I think he held his own. Wow. <laughs> you certainly deserve it. Like, um, this has been an interesting conversation for sure. <laughs> but, like, really makes me reflect on kind of my own teaching practice, you know, and as I was thinking, lots of times teachers are just driven by an essential question, but not a purpose. And I think that's kind of like just kind of reflecting on that now, like that's, that's my big takeaway is like, how can we, how do we, yeah, for, for, especially for empathy and, and driving that key purpose of why, why the learning is important and, and just to get kids engaged. I think that's huge. And the kids sometimes don't even recognize it. I mean, a lot of this time, a lot of this stuff that I'm doing, I have to recognize it for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, maybe 15 years from now, they'll go, wow, thank goodness I had that program or that class. Um, so th- that's part of a teacher's job, too, is to realize that the kids in front of you, you they may not ever recognize what they need. Um, so it's kind of our job with Twitter and research like that to figure out, listen, what are the trends? Where are things going? Um, what's the research? And, and sort of delivering on what we believe will benefit our kids moving forward. Yeah, I like that about your drive, how you're kind of like, you know, what jobs are coming up? So what kind of skills are important? And that's what I'm going to do. Um, so your role is constantly updating. You're not like some teachers who've been in the craft for 30 years and they got the same notes from like Ooh. 25 years ago that are all yellowed and curled up. Like I've actually seen that in university. <laughs> yeah. 
So I uh, like, uh, sorry. I, w- I wouldn't be in the profession. Um, part of the part of the drive you can imagine is that I want to feel invigorated when I walk in our school. So some part of this drive has been to increase the stature of our actual rural school in New Brunswick to give it some sort of uh, higher standing. Um, so that drives you every single day. That's a mission that never stops. Uh, my programming, I want the kids to work with the cutting edge tech- technology. So that's, that's another driving force. Uh, so you're right. Some of this is selfish. Some of this is I want to report to a work every day where I feel very, very proud of. Um, a job that I feel proud of, uh, and a lot of it is is for the kids. It's just saying, hey, let's get these guys ready. Uh, you can be a rural student and dominate the world in cybersecurity. Um, let's get this going. And uh, I think our provinces, all of our provinces are showing that. You can be a rural student and still rock the world. I just want to follow up something that you said, because you mentioned Twitter, and I know that you have a strong uh, presence on especially Twitter and social media. How, how do you use social media for yourself and how do you relate to the kids? Because um, we've talked a lot about in our university class we're just uh, doing too. And, and I know it's something that, you know, I'm kind of, I try to get involved in social media myself, but, but what do you, what's your take on that? Well, personally, I find that uh, Twitter is like exercise for the mind. Um, I learn more in 10 minutes on Twitter than I do in all governmental PD sessions for the entire year. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, or they'll probably actually ask me to come up with my own now that I've actually uh, criticized them. But it's true. If you spend 10 minutes on Twitter uh, with the proper channels and proper uh, followings and connections, you can learn more about your specific needs and growth as a teacher than you can from the generic uh, pumped out PL um, that's offered through your employer. Uh, That's the biggest pitch I'll make for Twitter. It is like exercise for your mind. And they say you should be out running and lifting weights. Well, Twitter is the gym for your mind. And uh, I think I put, I pitched that to the kids. I try to get all my grade 11s and 12s on Twitter to build a presence uh, and f- start to follow interests and things like that. Um, and for the younger kids, I try to coach them in healthy use of social media because they're on Instagram and TikTok and it, it's incredible all the stuff they're on. So I just try to tell them that, you know, maybe nine hours a day is not appropriate. And I coach them just on the, uh, the health aspects of that. Mm, absolutely. I find this is the most important question a lot of times yeah. in any kind of interview. But Ben, you've been amazing. You've shared so much in a short time. Uh, hopefully, we can maybe bug you to, to talk with us and follow up on a couple of things as we unpack a lot of the things you shared with us. But do you have any uh, you know, parting knowledge or parting graces with your wisdom one last time? Parting <laughs> thought really or like, parting question yeah. for people to ponder, anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this um... – I was asked this for the, for the prime minister's award. Um, so I had to really dig deep and figure out, you know, what I believed, right. It's all about what you actually believe and not just something you read on, you know, a cereal box. So um, the, the, the great Canadian comedian, John Candy had a line and I think it's an airplane or one of the movies, but that dude was a funny dude, but there's a scene where he turns and he says the finest line, a man or woman can walk in life is the one between success at home and success at work. And I find with teaching, um, we have to find that line every single day, if not every single week. And we have to find that balance between home life and uh, work life or else something's going to go horribly wrong. Um, So whenever I'm, you know, guessing how the career is going or wondering if I'm going to stay in the classroom or is this for me and all of those early uh, thoughts and wonders, um, the John Candy quote really stuck out that the finest line we can walk as professionals is success at home with our home lives and our families and our health and our running and all those wonderful things. 
uh, and success at work. What does that mean? Are you going to be a superstar? Are you just going to do the bare minimum? Um, so finding that line and staying true to that line uh, would be my compass and would be the advice I'd give to every fledgling teacher and every veteran teacher out there. Try to find that line. That's, That's great. That's great. Uh, ben Thank Kelly, Thank you very much for joining us today. It was absolutely a blast. This was fun. I think I only had about seven sips, so I got a few more to get in. <laughs> well, we can do some after hours. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have you back. That's, uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there, should, there will be a part two if you're open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks, guys. This is awesome. You've been listening to 832 Sips, the podcast. I'm Curtis Barassa. I'm Dean Venerman. And I'm Matteo DeMuro. Until next Until time. Next time. Next time. Cheers. Oh, we got to work on that voice.